Has there been a more recognisable trio of colours to grace a football field? A more notable home ground, grandstand or city skyline? A more coloured history dating back to 1883? Or a more passionate legion of supporters? What about a more well-known theme song derived from a tune written in 1792? The Fitzroy Football Club, as we know them to be today, wasn't always this way. In the VAFA, they were the third banana to the university sides, and while blacks and blues were playing off in A-section grand finals, there was a chorus of young men pining for a less serious game of footy. Enter University Reds, born in 1955 in the form of a Club 18. The club had a brief hiatus from the competition when the VAFA mandated reserve sides for all senior clubs in 1964, but the Reds returned in 1972 and continued on with the Red Spirit. 1980 saw the club's first addition to the trophy cabinet before a second in 1995. Home games happened regularly at Brunswick Street Oval before a name change in 1997 gave the club yet another link to Fitzroy. While the VFL-AFL-Fitzroy side merged with the Brisbane Bears in Queensland, Fitzroy wasn't completely lost to the football world, with the Fitzroy Reds officially becoming the Fitzroy Football Club in 2008. To celebrate their first decade as a merged club, they capped it off in style with a premiership over Old Geelong. A celebration for some Roy's fans that was 74 years in the making. Despite the famous links, the club has never forgotten its roots and there's still a burning desire for the old Uni Reds to one day join and possibly go past their cousins in Uni Blues and Uni Blacks. Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of the Club in Focus podcast. This might be the biggest edition we have ever done on the Club in Focus podcast series. We're talking all things Fitzroy and it is massive as I welcome in the voice, the face and the best looking man in the competition, Mr. Nick Armistead. Uh, Hello Nico. Hello Joseph and I don't want to put our listeners off straight away but I mean I reckon I am the sweatiest man in the competition right now because I'm so (laughs) nervous heading into this podcast. I mean you and I we speak flat out when it comes to researching and in the days leading into any one of these podcasts. In fact I'm surprised your better half Nat hasn't asked questions with the amount that I (laughs) message you late at night but the truth is we put more effort into this podcast than probably anything we've done before because we have got five or six of the biggest interviews I think we've ever had coming up. They're going to be absolutely massive. I want you to turn on your nervous meter right now and tell me just where these rank between one and ten, one being not so nervous and ten, of course, being off the Richter scale. These are nervous. We're going to chat to Joan Eddy, who's the current president of Fitzroy. She has done everything you could possibly do in an off-field role at the Roy's and been there for over 20 years. Uh, how's your nerves on speaking to Joan Eddy? Pretty low for Joan, to be honest, purely for the fact that um, I know her quite well. We've interviewed her before. She is an action-packed, full of energy lady, and I have seen her after hours at the Woodrow Medal, so I'm not nervous about anything here, figures. <laughs> I'm most excited <laughs> to chat to her about her son, Tom, who kicked that great goal in the finals a couple of years ago. It might be the goal of the century when the Ammos come to doing that in a few years' time, uh, about 
80 years away, but it might come to that in about in a few years' time. How nervous are you chatting to Peter Hilly, who is the president of the Reds Foundation, a former Fitzroy Reds president himself, and if you don't mind, an on-field superstar? Yeah, very excited. Leading goal kicker a couple of times, and even, Joseph, something that neither you or I got any anywhere near. He's a centurion. He kicked 100 goals in 1980, which is simply amazing. Let's talk about the current day players that we're going to talk to and where do they rank on your nervo meter? I'll group them together. The senior captain of the women's, Jess Hayes, and the senior captain of the men's, Julian Turner. Where do they rank on your nervo meter? They're pretty low as well. I know both of these guys spoke to them during the VAFA Awards night last year. Um, they are amazing on camera. They love a chat. And I remember they were seated um, either side of Teresa Zampaglioni, a star player who was wearing some biblical style sandals at the awards night she got a, i think she got her days mixed up but they are fantastic <laughs> and i'm really looking forward to those two so what it sounds like after the first four guests i've rattled off you're not nervous at all just sounds well, like maybe you're pulling a few legs okay let's move to guest number five that we're going to chat to um he's the host of the highest rating breakfast program in melbourne at 3AW. He played for the Uni Reds in the 70s and in the 80s. He tells a cracking story. He loves the Melbourne Footy Club like no other. His name is Ross Stevenson, Nico. Where do your nerves sit when we're talking to the great Ross Stevenson? Hi, Joey. They are high. (laughs) They are through the roof. I don't think they're as high as they are for you, though, because looking at it from afar, Ross is, as you said, a very, very successful on-air presenter and perhaps in 30 or 40 years, you might be the next Ross Stevenson, Joseph. So I'm saying that you might be a little bit more nervous. I might be a little bit more nervy. You reckon he's going to critique the hosting skills? And I wonder if in 30 or 40 years when our successors, Nico, ring us for a Club in Focus podcast about uh, our time in the competition, whether, I don't know, maybe they will. I've got some great stories to tell. Um, Okay, what about this? This is the biggest guest. I promised this on our last Club in Focus podcast that we were going to have a massive name join us during this podcast. He has played 333 games over 18 seasons. His father is a premiership player with Fitzroy in 1944. He won nine Best and Fairest Awards, a Brownlow medal. I'm talking about Kevin Joseph Bulldog Murray, MBE, has he smashed your Nervometer to bits? Through the roof, Joey. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm picking up pieces left, right and centre. Now, this is a fantastic get by you. I mean, you did promise. I thought you might. I, I wasn't backing you in completely. <laughs> but when you came through in the middle of the week, we've had some sensational guests across the years on all sorts of podcasts and shows that we've been on. But uh, Kevin Murray would have to nearly be right up there as the number one. A special treat for Fitzroy fans of the VFL side and, of course, of the Ammo sides. And when I did speak to Kev earlier in the week, he uh, has, at time, from time to time, come down and had a bit to do with the Fitzroy Ammo side. And that's where we're going to start, Nico, because we've tried to balance this as best as we could because a club that goes back to the VFA days of 1883 right through into the present day in the current form. It's a lot of history for us to fill across the next 90 minutes. But where I do want to start is with the University Reds, their initial inaugural team back in 1954. They were formed as a Club 18 side. They were leftover players, Nico, from Uni Blues and Uni Blacks, the leftovers after lunch to give an opportunity to play games. And they were playing in E-grade in 1954. By all reports, they were strong. 
He had some finals appearances, but no premierships. No flags in that side, and they went into recess in 1964. So in that nine-year window, they played a few games at the Uni Oval. They didn't get quite an opportunity, which I'm going to tell you about in a moment. It's something I'm interested to learn throughout this podcast. But as we have done in recent times, the inaugural year of these clubs, the inception year, you go through some of the great moments of history. What happened in 1955? Well, back in 1955, Joseph, back when it all began (laughs) for this wonderful crew of University Reds players, the names Trump, Boris and ScoMo were merely a glint in the eye of their predecessors from 55, Winston Churchill, Eisenhower and Sir Robert Menzies. I don't know if you can spot the difference there between (laughs) the six of them, Joey. Dr Martin Luther King Jr. led the first major event of the civil rights movement in Alabama, the 3 a.m. meal of choice started, Joseph, in 55, with Ray Kroc creating the McDonald's fast food chain. Oh, boy. Now you're speaking my language. That's a daily ritual for you, I hear. <laughs> Not Lego, Velcro, and the hovercraft are all invented, and there are a couple luminaries that were born back in 55, Steve Jobs and Bill Gates. Now, as you said, that was the uni red side of things from 1955, and they've got a crazy, amazing history with Fitzroy back from the VFA day back in 1883, which we will touch on later in the podcast when we talk to the great man, Kevin Murray. I can't wait to find out what happened uh, 137 years ago. I'm so glad you didn't mention the VFL grand final of 55, where Collingwood got beaten by the Demons by 28 points, that all-conquering side under Norm Smith. Um, It seems to me every time you do these years, Collingwood either win or lose the grand final. So I think it's just something that you like to bring up. And then you leave me to mention it. Um, I just want to talk about this uni red side of um, that early days because they've had a number of home grounds throughout. When they returned in 1972, this is, with the seniors and the reserves, they played at Crawford Oval, which is still being used as a third ground outside... Um, the Uni Main, Yarra Bend Oval, Princess Park, and on occasions they got to play on the Uni Main. In 1991, they moved over to Brunswick Street Oval. It's been their home ever since. But prior to Brunswick Street Oval being their home, I found this quite fascinating. It's something that I'm hoping someone can answer for me throughout the podcast is because of the sections of Uni Blues and Uni Blacks playing up in A grade, and they were seen as... The, the glamour sides of the uni at the time, uni reds, were forced to play their home games on Sundays or find a new home ground. Opposition clubs kicked up a fuss because they didn't want to play on Sundays and go off a six-day break the following week. Mind you, the current <laughs> AFL landscape, you play every three days. And you talk to anyone who plays local footy, they want to play every night. So I don't know what clubs were whinging about back then. But they were forced out of their own ground. Are you trying to tell me that VAFA clubs were whinging about a six-day turnaround? I'm telling you that some clubs kicked up a fuss and did not want to play on a Sunday against Uni Reds. They wanted to play on Saturday to Saturday, get the appropriate rest through the 70s and 80s. This is before sports science was even a thing. And they kicked up a fuss and the Uni Reds ended up going at it alone and finding their own home ground, which resulted in them ending up at Brunswick Street Oval. Hopefully someone can confirm this story for us throughout this podcast because I cannot wait to find out about it. I was actually quite staggered when I did read about it earlier in the week. What about yourself, Nico? Is there something that's sticking out that you are keen to learn about throughout this whole history of theirs? 
Yeah, most certainly. And I think the Uni Reds definitely does um, stand out quite a bit, particularly from a VAFA point of view. But um, history was made back in 1978, Joseph. Um, found in the For Love of the Game centenary book, a little passage here, which I will relay to you. In June of 78, the VAFA allowed video evidence for the first time following a complaint lodged by University Reds against a Thornbury player for striking. The video showed that the Thornbury player, a former boxer, hit the Uni Reds player on the point of the jaw hard. Such was the quality of the video that the Reds player's neck seemed to stretch about 50 centimetres. So gruesomely graphic was it that the committee watched it about 10 times. The Thornbury player got eight weeks. Now, we know who that Uni Reds player who was struck by the Thornbury player. He goes by the name of Ross Stevenson. So I'm really looking forward to bringing up this Ross, this with Ross and getting his side of the story. So the first video review at the tribunal was from Ross Stevenson. Ever. Ever. Ever in ever. Australian football. Right. That is, as you quite rightly said at the start, history being made. Well, I can't wait to talk to him about all of that. There is plenty that we can talk about. You know, the Fitzroy Guernsey that they wear, the fact that they run out to the theme song, which I absolutely love, and, and I've banged on about it many times. For people who do want to go out to Brunswick Street Oval on a Saturday, just get there around 2 o'clock, and you will hear it blaring from the speakers. Uh, the women's side that's been around since 2015 in partnership with Australian Catholic University, uh, Forever Fitzroy is their mantra. Great football, great community, great culture. Playing on Brunswick Street Oval, there is a stack that we are going to cover across the next 80 to 90 minutes. It may well even be a two-parter by the time we're finished with all of this, but we have to keep moving and we have to get started and we have to talk to Joan Eddy right now. First up on the Club in Focus podcast, a plethora of guests coming up today. Let's start with the current president of Fitzroy. In 2019, she was recognised as the AFL Football Woman of the Year for her contribution to amateur footy. And it is an incredible contribution indeed. I'm talking about Joan Eddy and she joins us now. Hello, Joan. G'day there, Nick. There is so much that I want to talk to you about, but I think I want to start okay. with this because it's it's one of my favourite moments covering the Amos in the last few years. It's got to do with okay. your son, Tom, and it's got to do yeah. with a memorable <laughs> yeah. goal that he kicked against Williamstown in the second semi-final that sent you guys into the grand final. Not only were the celebrations yeah. when the goal went through incredibly massive, the goal itself in the wet from the pocket, where does a mother sit when their son's playing on a Saturday afternoon in a semi-final? From a personal point of view, that's obviously so pleased for him, like any parent would be when their son or daughter, you know, does something like that in a in a, in a tense start final. But I was actually standing at that moment, I, we'd hardly seen each other most of the, most of the day because, you know, we were just with other people and doing other things, but I was actually standing with Tom's dad and his stepmum 
So my ex-husband Frank and and, uh, and his wife Pam, the three of us were actually standing together, and we really hadn't hadn't had any chance to really catch up most of the game, and just probably we'd only just been standing there for three minutes, all, all the three of us together, and uh, you know which was lovely, and so the three of us saw that happen together. From a family perspective, Nick, I guess it was that was really special as well. Like the three of us just went. Oh my God! Was that was, was that Tom who did that? It was just it was a beautiful it was a beautiful family moment for us. It just it just was a bit surreal. It certainly was. Now, and for what about from a president's point of view? Let's let's go from the administration side of things. Fitzroy yes. are playing off in a final against Williamstown. It's a cold, wet afternoon, and it takes your son Tom mm. to throw a boot at it, and you're in the grand final. Um, what does that do for the footy club, considering the fact that uh, it wasn't all that long ago that you'd merged with Uni Reds, and this was the first yeah. time Fitzroy yeah. as a whole was in a in a competition finals? Yes, uh, yeah, we'd, extraordinary. Well, we, we'd we'd made the um, you know, we'd made the C grade, you know, grand final in two thousand and twelve. Nick under under Pickers as the senior men's coach. You know, this was really special. This was really really special, and for that group of players who'd. You know, most most of the you know the core of the senior group were were players who you know most most of not all of them had played in that a number of them had played in that losing grand final. But but really, you know, the predominant you know the predominant personnel of the team with and you and you young kids coming through, it was so exciting and really fantastic for the club. More than twenty years, Joan, you've been involved. Does that grand final victory a couple of years ago at Trevor Barker Oval does that sit at the top of the tree for you? Oh, totally, totally. 20 years involved in, in community footy at, at Fitzroy and this, I think, yeah, this is my 11th year as Prez. Why? Yeah. Why do you think that? <laughs> <laughs> Look, I think I, I'm sure I'm, a lot of other a lot of other presidents and, and long-serving officials of the Avos, you know, we would, would feel the same. It, it, it's, hard to, it's hard to put into words, Nick. I think Fitzroy's footy and, you know, the sort of the new Fitzroy of the 21st century is my, is my tribe, Nick. You know, it's my community. So, you know, from the, you know, I, I, I had one child, um, happened to be a son, happened to be a, a boy who loved footy. And, you know, when we took him down to Auskick at the age of five, down, down to Brunswick Street Oval, that was it. That was it for me. He, he, was, he loved it. And it was such a great community of footy, a great footy community and a great community. So I guess those two, those two things, like they had, you know, fit to a junior footy club, I was secretary for six years, you know, really, really strong community values. And that's, you know, that's just carried on into the senior club, but also, you know, the Fitzroy Reds who, who, um, you know, came back to, came back to play in the Fitzroy Guernsey at Brunswick Street over in 97, 98. You know, that was it for me. I was never going to go anywhere else. And that was where I wanted to put my energy and time as a, you know, in terms of putting back into the community. And um, it's just been fabulous, Nick. It's just been, you know, I just feel so privileged to be in that position. Over those past 20-odd years, as you said, the 21st century has been basically your time at the club. Have you seen any significant changes in the culture down at Brunswick Street Oval? Oh, yeah, yeah, it's completely. It's just more about taking the culture of the footy club, particularly the senior club, to the next level. You know, when we merged with the Fitzroy Reds, you know, the, the Reds were, you know, just a fabulous, fabulously social and also community-minded group but probably struggling a bit around administration off the field and just struggling a bit with, you know, having a more longer-term vision about where 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 to take the club. So having the Fitzroy Junior Football Club and that whole group of parents, of which I was that, you know, um, that first generation, if you like, of parents coming through with kids going into 
into the senior club in, 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 you know, in significant numbers. You know, it was an opportunity to, to, to really think about where we, where we wanted to be as a, as a footy club in, in the community. And for us, it was really important to, you know, to bring back the old Fitzroy supporters to footy at Brunswick Street Oval and to, and to honour that, that history. Because if it hadn't been for the Fitzroy Football Club, neither the Fitzroy Juniors or the Reds would have become the Fitzroy Reds. Yeah, they were the ones who gave both the junior club and the senior club money back in the 90s, gave them permission to wear the SFC jumper. And around the same time, Brunswick Street reopened up again as a, as a sporting facility. All those things, Nick, came together in, in, that, in that period of time in the 90s. Joan, we touched on the um, the final series of 2018. Yep. You've been also part of an under-19 club premiership when you were the team manager uh, and you are yes, part of the yes. introduction to the women's side of, of the Fitzroy yeah, uh, competition yeah. and, and the team Hopefully. and all of that. Tell yeah. us a bit about those two uh, moments. Oh, look, I think the under-19, um, you know, Tim Bell, who, you know, a former former um, under-19 coach of the year, my first year in, in the senior club as a parent was, was when Tom went into graduating the under-19s from the under-17s from the Colts. That was very, very exciting. So that's, uh, you know, certainly from a personal point of view and a footy point of view, that was a really special moment, that um, winning that grand final out on out at um, the Snake Pit uh, with all those under-19 under boys. And again, many of them, you know, went on, played in the 2012 grand final against Parkdale in the premiership, premiership against Old Geelong in 18. So... It was pretty special. It's really I've got very really fond memories of that of that day. But I think I think that probably from a football point of view, the thing I'm proudest of is the introduction of women's footy, um, and and you know becoming becoming part of the VAFA. And I, I just think you know hats off to VAFA because you know VAFA will always you know been planning this for a number of years before it happened. Really trying to lay the groundwork and trying to make sure that we we were going to be you know ready. You know, take on women's footy and, and integrate women's footy into, in, you know, into the heart of all our football clubs. And it's just been, it's just been fantastic, Nick. I think you agree, you and Joe. It's just been an extraordinary um, development and something that's going to change the culture again of, of of football. Absolutely, it's been it's been fantastic. And now you've got, you know, only a couple of, I think, three short years. You're going to be celebrating the 140th year anniversary of Fitzroy Joan. Have you got anything planned? Well, hopefully, hopefully the um, you know again the other thing I think that's really you know significant when we when we did our our, um, our strategic plan, God, it seems like years ago, our first strategic plan as a footy club, you know, back in two thousand and twelve, um, Nick, you know, when we, we we did all the consultation with all our players and you know stakeholders and the Reds Foundation and former Reds and former Fitzroy people and current Fitzroy people. You know, one of the things that was at the top top of the top of the list was, you know, will we ever get actually get a home, a permanent home at, at Brunswick Street? We hire the community facility. We only have use of it on, you know, for limited hours on a Thursday night for players' meals, and then on Saturdays for home games. So we don't have a place. You know, we don't have a home like most other clubs do, who have the seasonal use of a facility. You know, from you know, the classic traditional thing in uh, in Victoria is, you know, the footy club bumps in in the winter and the cricket clubs bump bump into a facility over the summer. We don't have that at Brunswick Street, but we we are going to have it. You know, the state government, you know, has announced a you know fabulous uh, you know infrastructure project to develop social sporting rooms at Brunswick Street Oval and redo that whole facility behind you know behind and behind and and next to the grandstand so that the sporting clubs could have a permanent facility and 
that's a yeah, that's very very exciting. Nick, like to have that um, in in the works, it'd be fabulous to celebrate the 140 years in the new <laughs> in the new rooms. That'd be great. The last one from me, Jonah. As we do, let you go. If if you were to describe your your role as the president, I mean, is it just is it everything you dreamed of when you took it over? Oh look, I've you know I would I'm I, I'm a leader who leads from the front, Joe. You know, being the president of a footy club, it's really important to to be visible and to have and to and to have presence. But it's also incredibly important to you know the, the most important skill you can have is to listen to people and to to work hard at bringing people together, you know, making sure people are not left behind mm. and outside, you know, and try and develop and work with people to develop as an inclusive an environment as possible. You know, at the same time, sort of still being trying to be clear and, you know, and have your boundaries in place and have and have good accountability a, a, around things. So that, so that for me is sort of my, my sort of philosophy is, Please, really. Joan, thank you for uh, joining us on the Club in Focus podcast and we appreciate you letting us put your club in focus. Take care and hopefully we catch up at Brunswick Street in 2021. Lovely. Take care, guys. Well, Nick, we move from the current president of Fitzroy, Joan Eddy, to a former president in Peter Hilly. He's currently, though, the president of the Reds Foundation and I am interested to hear what is the Reds Foundation and to talk about his time with Fitzroy, not only in his current role, but a former player through the 70s and through the 80s. I'm talking about Peter Hilly, and he joins us now. Hello, Peter. Nick and Joe, uh, nice to be with you. Thank you. Can That's we start fine. with the uh, with your playing days and, and playing with Uni Reds in the 70s and, and through the 80s? We're a bit of a goal kicker, we've been told. Uh, yes. Interestingly, because it's... Um Fitzroy Football Club incorporating the Fitzroy Reds. In 1954, I was taken by my aunt and uncle to watch my first game at Fitzroy uh, in 1954. And that same year, a guy named Mark Marsden at Melbourne University set up the University Reds. So there's a nice parallel there. Um, so I followed Fitzroy right throughout that, that period of time. And by the time I uh, joined the Reds, I hadn't played football for some years. I was 30 years old and I joined them in 1978. I know the secretary at the time decided to come out of retirement because I was older than he was. Um, and it was, you know, a, a, a pretty much a social thing. The Reds had come back from the wilderness um, in 1973. Uh, they came back into the amateurs after around about nine years out. Um, they had played a, a few seasons in the Metropolitan League against sides like Braybrook and Croxton Park, and uh, some of them are still getting counselling for the experiences they had. <laughs> now, at the Reds, it was a guy named Andy McNair who became the coach the same year I joined. He was a secondary school teacher, very well organised, and uh, he sort of turned the culture around a bit, I think. We got the impression the Reds had been, you know, pretty social and um, had some fair footballs, but, um, you know, not a lot of organisation. So I, I um, played there... Um, well, I played 164 games at the Reds. I gave it away when I was 42, and then uh, that was in 1989. And then the, uh, the coach we appointed was a good friend of mine in 91. He coaxed me out of retirement. So I finished up playing till I was 44. In 1980, the Reds won their first flag. Uh, it was F grade, uh, which is probably, what, D3 or D4 or something now. Uh, I'd kicked 100 goals that year, but got dropped for the grand final. Uh, Ross Campbell, or Ross Stevenson, as he's known on 3AW, 
uh, he was he was also dropped. He missed out on that. So uh, that's apart from a friendship, that's something that we we often reminisce about. You know what could have been. But the Reds won without us anyway. And uh, do you know the reasons? They, they thought I'd um, they thought I'd lost form coming into the finals. I you know sort of probably kicked the hundredth goal in round eighteen and got two and one. I think we lost the second semi. I might have only kicked two. I only got one in the prelim. And uh, so they brought in another guy who'd been in and out of the team, and um, he kicked six goals. Uh, I played in the reserves and barely got a kick there. So, I, I, you know, that, it was probably right. Some of my family were a bit upset about it, but uh, I'm still at the club 40 years later. So, uh, you know, you, you get on with things. So, Pete, tell us in what year did you become the president and what was your reasons for uh, applying for the job? Um, I became president. They were probably struggling a bit through that mid to later 80s and sort of down around the E-grade mark. I was president from 88 to 91. Uh, At the same time, I started writing for the MOs in their um, weekly magazine. I had a column called F Troop, uh, which uh, proved to be a bit of fun. I brought the Reds to uh, the Brunswick Street Oval. Um, We'd been playing for several years on the university able but playing on Sundays because the blacks and blues obviously alternated on the Saturday and we used to train at the uni oval um, Mondays and Wednesdays you know that worked okay but there was a lot of people who you know like to party on a Saturday night so um, other teams only had to do it once in the year but if you had to do it nine times a year we had a little bit of um, pushback on that so I negotiated with the Fitzroy City Council, as it was then, before it became the City of Yarra, uh, to play games at the Brunswick Street Ovals in, from 91 onwards. Fitzroy Footy Club used it as a summer training base under Robert Shaw, I think was the coach at the time. So that was, I suppose, the first step in, in the Uni Reds becoming Fitzroy. Um, moving them to the Oval. Take us back to 1996, around the time that the AFL Fitzroy team was playing their last games and, and they were all set to, to come out of the AFL and merge with the Brisbane Bears. What was happening around that time? I was um, a chair of a coterie group at Fitzroy, the Lion Hunters, so it was sort of going down with the ship. And also in 96, a sports union at Melbourne Uni told the Reds that if uh, they didn't get more undergraduates or graduates playing, the funding from the sports union would be cut off. So they, they were given one more year. At the end of 97, well, they were in the same position, so they were talking about a merger with university high school, and they called in a few past players and officials, including myself. And I was uh, chair of the Lion Hunters with the Brisbane Lions. I was involved with the Fitzroy Foundation that had been set up to prop up Fitzroy in its, you know, when it was heading towards uh, a merger or extinction, I suppose. So I proposed that we become the Fitzroy Reds. The MOs gave it a Nick Fitzroy Footy Club, who were, they didn't have a team, obviously, but they, they, they were still a club and an organisation, a company. So that was all approved. So we changed the jumper from 98. We were the Fitzroy Reds. Pete, when do you think the golden years or the golden era of the Reds was? We had a golden era, 2001-2005, winning, you know, flags in three of those years and going from D3 to D2, D1 up to C grade under a guy named Graham Bergham as a coach, and I think he won Amateur Coach of the Year during that time. I started that period as a vice president 
and we've set up an advisory board to the committee um, to plot um, a road to A grade. And I chaired that and I became president of the committee in uh, um, 04 to 06 or 05 and 06. Um, and they won that flag in uh, 05. Now, Pete, you've been an integral member of the Reds Foundation and these days the president of the Reds. Can you explain to us exactly what the Reds Foundation is and what the foundation does? Um, the Reds Foundation was set up in 2006 and the idea was to assist the club, you know, financially. We set up a development squad, um, you know, for under-22s, paid for all the trophies, kick-started a really good player sponsorship program. There was a bit of mentoring and job access activity, past player connections, that sort of thing. So the Red Foundation's still going. The club's in a much better situation now anyway. Um, but the Reds Foundation is still a contributor. So, Pete, let's let's talk about the big one, that the merger in 2008 with Fitzroy, the former AFL-VFL side, and with the Fitzroy Reds, formerly the Uni Reds. Tell us about uh, the year that was, 2008. In my view, that you know, that's the it's the new Fitzroy and it's the, the new Reds over that particular uh, journey. Um, so I've had 42 years at, um, associated oh. with the Reds and... 67 years associated with um, barracking for Fitzroy and, uh, and the Brisbane Lions. Pete, you touched on your, your playing days through the, um, the 70s and the 80s there. What was it yep. like to, to run out there every week as the third of the uni sides? I mean, were you up against it every week? Were you guys the underdogs most times you played or did you go into games pretty confident that you were going to win? Well, certainly um, that 78 through to 83 period, which was the first five years I was there, uh, you know, we did have some success. Uh, Andrew McNair was a terrific coach. We had some really good players. The cap- Our premiership captain, Michael Smale, is treasurer of the club now and is just an outstanding person, wonderful footballer, wonderful leader. So in that period of time, we were expecting to do very well. We just didn't have, you know, have a sustainable access to players, I suppose compared to the circumstance now where Fitzroy Junior Football Club has produced, you know, 90% of it would, would come from the Fitzroy Juniors. So that that made it more difficult. We weren't part of the allocation at the university. Uh, like the Blues and Blacks used to have a, a player allocation process in place each year. So our, our access to players was far more ad hoc. You did mention... Michael Smale, Pete, is obviously captain in the Reds' team of the century. Just a few more of those players that you play alongside that stand out to you? Yes, Chris Anderson, I think was named as um, centre back in that. He, he, he was as, as good a footballer as I played with, just a, an absolute natural. Uh, Greg Thomas, uh, also very, very, very good. Greg Cook and Stephen Drury uh, played in those three premierships, you know, late 20s by then, but he'd had a Outstanding career over over 200 games. Uh, Jack Clancy um, is mentioned there. I think he might be slotted in at centre half forward. He, he's the um, the only person who's played for the Reds and for Fitzroy. He had one game at Fitzroy in the 1950s um, and uh, played at the Blacks. He was a, a legend at the Blacks and uh, and and coached uh, Fitzroy in the um, uh, sorry the Uni Reds in the early early 60s. Uh, Russell Heddles, uh, played with him, wonderful. Uh, he'd, he'd come out, you know, you'd, you'd sort of do a little bit of end-to-end waiting for the coach to come out and put out the witches' hats. 
know, Russell's first kick would probably go 60 metres while other people were, you know, warming up with a with a 10 metre pass. So uh, quite a number of them are still coming along to games and buy their Reds Foundation membership and, uh, you know, support the club um, as much as they can. And the last one before we let you go, Pete, you're a member of the uh, Fitzroy Footy Club Hall of Fame and, and you've detailed your timeline throughout barracking for them as a young boy uh, to being part of the ammo side of things. What does this footy club mean to you, Pete? Bringing um, the Reds to uh, the Brunswick Street Oval was like bringing your friends home to meet your family. And I think that I've been very fortunate that the uh, the two football loves of my life have, over a period of time and in different steps have um, come together. You know, it just uh, it, it brings me a lot of uh, joy. I, I feel pleased that I've been able to contribute, but I've got far more out of it uh, than what I've put in. Match made in heaven, Pete. Thanks for joining us on the uh, Club in Focus podcast. We do appreciate you giving us some of your time today. Uh, look after yourself and we uh, look forward to chatting again soon. Yes, Nick, Joe, thank you very much and all the very best to you as well. Come on, guys. Give me the man with the strongest heart. That's the bloke I want to play next to. They are the blokes you'll play next to. It's the jumper, it's the club, it's the same corporate identity and... uh... And uh, people can go and have their Saturday afternoon game of footy. Uh, Kevin Murray's signature on there. Colin McNeil's on there too. I'll never leave him. I'll stay with him forever. Well, Nico, this is very exciting. Before this man was a radio megastar hosting the Ratings Bonanza 3AW Breakfast. I'm talking about Ross Stevenson. He was dominating on the fields of Melbourne Uni Ovals and a few other Uni Ovals. He was playing for the Uni Reds. His name is Ross Stevenson, playing, I'm told, Nico, by the name of Ross Campbell back in the day through the 70s and 80s, and he joins us on the Club in Focus podcast. Hello, Ross. Hello, Lads. How are you? Very well, thank you. Very well. Thanks for joining us. Let's go back to those days, Ross, in the 70s and the 80s. Playing for Uni Reds, um, we talked a little bit earlier about the fact that Uni Blues and Uni Blacks, who are still around today, were the other two sides in the Uni. How did you end up at Uni Reds? Uh, well, because Uni Reds, because the Blacks and the Blues were in A grade and Uni Reds were in F grade. And uh, I explained to people the only reason that I played F grade is because there was no G grade. <laughs> and, but I played with a, a lot of mates. I was in St Hilda's College. Just a group of us decided we wanted to play footy together, so we went to the Reds and some of them were really, really good players, um, which is why we had a bit of success, I guess. And, and during that time, Ross, we, we did a bit of research throughout the week that uh, we discovered that Uni Reds uh, had to play some of their home games on Sundays because, of course, the Uni Oval was dominated and owned by uh, Blues and Blacks. Is that the case? Not when I was there. No, we always played on uh, Saturday, so that must have either been before my time or after my time. Our home ground, we didn't. our home ground was not the main Uni Oval. Our home ground was the ground immediately to the south of Princess Park, right next door to Princess Park, immediately to the south of it, and it is a beautiful ground on which to play football. And on occasions, when uh, the game at Princess Park was a sellout, um, people, people who, who couldn't get in to Princess Park would come and watch us play. Sometimes we'd have a few hundred spectators. Was, I said at the start of the show that one of the things I was really looking forward to was um, 
discussing with the player in question about the introduction of the video at the tribunal. And it was against a Thornbury player back in 1978. And I believe that from the University Reds' point of view, you were the player involved. Yeah, that was the first ever case of trial by video in the history of all of Australian rules football. Um, we were playing at that home ground next to Optus Oval. We were playing Thornbury. And uh, a bloke called Bugsy Bennett, who played for Thornbury, uh, I picked up the ball, turned around, and smashed me. They broke my nose, but hit me so hard, I ruptured my Achilles tendon. And <laughs> the video cameras, videos, had just only arrived. And a fellow called Terry Greeny from the Reds was filming the game, just, you know, as a lark. Bugsy hit me right in front of where Terry was videoing. A, the player, he didn't get reported. So we lodged a video with the VAFA and ended up having a tribunal hearing in John Dillon's office in his law firm in town. And uh, they rubbed Bucky out for eight weeks. I didn't play for 12. Wow. So he's got rubbed out for eight weeks. Apparently the tribunal has watched the video 10 times. And it says in the For Love of the Game centenary book that your neck seemed to stretch about 50 centimetres on the footage. <laughs> he hit me very, very hard. Um <laughs> But uh, years later, uh, he worked for he worked for the Thornbury City Council, I think. Um, and I was going to uh, I took a load of uh, rubbish to Northcote Tip, and you know, I think it cost five bucks. But anyway, I pulled up in my car, uh, had my five bucks in hand, and I looked up into the little demountable where the representative of the council was sitting, and it was Bugsy. I looked up, and he looked at me, and I went to offer him the five bucks, and he said, "Nah, three you go, mate." Free, free for you. <laughs> in 1980, we've been looking back through the records and there was a team who came in, was admitted into the VAFA, but they were only there for one year. I wanted to know if you had any memories of coming up against the Coolaroo Rovers. Coolaroo Rovers, they were in it for one year and we, we played them at their home ground. Before, during the reserves game, sent to go and speak to Kilaroo Rovers senior coach to try to get some intelligence on you know what they were about and where they were and all that sort of stuff. So I went and stood next to their senior coach and I said, uh, to the senior coach, uh, I said, what do you do for a living? He said, uh, I'm a social worker. And I said, that's terrific. Anything that's softer than a university student. So where do you work? He says, Pentridge Prison. I said, what do you do there? He said, I help uh, rehabilitate long-term uh, prisoners, to help them assimilating back into the community. I said, That's very how do you do that? He said, by getting them to play for this football team. <laughs> so, <laughs> before the game, now I said, I thought it was a doctor. And he walked up to his opponent, put his hand out and, and um, to shake hands. And the bloke simply said, I'm going to put you in hospital. Our bloke said, but I'm a doctor. And the bloke said, good, you'll know your way around it. <laughs> and they were, they, were, they, were, they were rubbed out. They were in it for one year. They, they, they were violent as. I fell to the ground and their ruckman stood on my face and dragged stops across my face. I was working as a lawyer. Then I had to go into work in the morning with these gouges down my face. <sighs> but I think they played Peninsula Old Boys that year and were unhappy with the umpiring they flushed the umpire's uh, clothes down the toilet um, (laughs) during the game and 
after the game, when Peninsula walked into their rooms, they, they were shocked to discover that the Coolaroo Rovers also walked into Peninsula's rooms and built a few of them up. <laughs> they, were, they were shocking. Humbling defeat, they sound like, Ross. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I tell you, I mean, I wouldn't let them play the footy I had to play. Um, it was it was pretty violent. And uh, uh, I, I couldn't have, you know, you were far more likely to get, uh, as a man of mine said, he played 200 games, never had an injury below the neck. Wow. So I'm just reading about Coolaroo Rovers on... Um, obviously um, the most legitimate site in the world, that being Big Footy. And someone has written quite a few years ago now, we played them in their first game at their home ground in Dallas. The game finished about five minutes earlier than the final siren with spectators running onto the field for a fight and the field umpire running off and disappearing in his car. Two Divi vans were required at every Rovers game for the rest of the season. Sounds like the snake pit these days, Joe. Oh, <laughs> that is outstanding. Not as bad as that, though. Not as bad as that. Ross, can I take you back to the very start? You come down to Uni Reds, and, and a lot of young, impressionable boys generally look up to their first senior coach. What was your first senior coach like when you got down there? He's fantastic. A fellow called Kenny Frencham. And a lot of people will claim that their coach said he's been. Kenny invented all of this. Kenny invented the uh, pair up in threes. Um, he said to us one night at training, he said, over here, fellas, under the lights where it's warmer. <laughs> and, uh, uh, he was the one who first said, come on, fellas, it's a simple game. It's not rocket surgery. Um, and he asked us one night at training to line up on the wing alphabetically in order of height. And, uh, that took the remainder of the training session to try to work that one now, Ross, we always ask people that come on, um, particularly from the 70s and 80s, about their footy trips back in the day. And we understand that yours were uh, next level for the Uni Reds, particularly one down in Launceston. Oh, dear, oh, dear. <laughs> shocking. Absolutely shocking. When you compare, compare generations, during, during this lockdown, my two oldest children are 21 and 24, during the entire second lockdown, would have had no more than four stubbies between them for the entire lockdown. Um, we would have had four stubbies in the first five minutes of a footy trip. Um, <laughs> it was particularly unhealthy. And just, I remember one of my teammates sitting on a bar stool, turning around, bringing up the day's takings on the carpet, and then turning around and ordering another drink. <laughs> it was pretty ordinary. <laughs> So, Ross, you end up playing over 100 games for the footy club and you're one of the first people to do so. When you think back on, on your playing career with the Uni Reds, is that something that sits pretty fondly with yourself? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because what you used to do, and I don't think it's... Maybe I'm wrong, but kids these days don't seem to make friends at university. Whereas when I went to uni... You made a lot of friends, and especially when you're in college. And the people that I met in college that I played footy with, like a clump of us were at St Ilda together and a clump of us went to play for the Reds. They have been used um, long for you. Know, they became your friendship group and were for you know many, many years until you, you, know, you get married and, and have children and you sort of drift, you know, drift apart a bit. But, oh, my God, we were the closest of friends for 20 years. 
and, and I know we asked you about 1980 before, but that, that year and the team itself, the fact that there was a premiership at the end of that, are they still, the, the 22 of them bonded? Do you still catch up for reunions and that kind of thing? Yeah, absolutely. I, I guess the record will exist somewhere, and no doubt my memory will be proved to be wrong, but I reckon it went something like eight points down at half time, 62 points up at three-quarter time. Something, something like that. Uh, the, the third quarter was just incredible. And what about nowadays, Ross? When you're asked to talk about Uni Reds and, and Fitzroy, for that matter, now that they've merged, and, and someone says, what does the old Fitzroy Uni Reds mean to you, Ross? What would you say? Oh, just so much fun. I think I played over 150 games. Um, we, we went from F grade to D grade. Um, uh, and I think we might have been slipped back to F grade. But anyway, um, we had some success on the way through. Tremendous camaraderie. Um, a lot of the players were very, very good for, you know, for that level of football. They got to play it at a much higher level, but they just wanted to play with mates. A time I have incredible fondness for. It sounds a lot like the 3AW Breakfast Show where you recently said goodbye to your great mate John Burns and replaced with Russell. Uh, how's it been going the last couple of weeks with your new co-host? Well, as I said, uh, Russell is bald and barracks for Melbourne. So if I just blur my eyes a bit, um, it's as if nothing has changed. <laughs> oh, it's a lovely note to finish on. Ross, thanks for joining us on the Club in Focus podcast and going down memory lane talking about the Uni Reds. We do appreciate it. Pleasure, Joe. Pleasure, Nick. How good, Nick? Out to chat to two stalwarts of the Uni Red sides. How's this? Peter Hilly, 71 goals in 79, 103 goals in 1980. 174 goals across two seasons, missed out on the grand final. Uh, the voice of Melbourne, Ross Stevenson, host of the award-winning and highest-rating 3AW Breakfast, plays at Uni Reds, also dropped from the 1980 Premiership side. Um, two players who dominated that year missed out on the Uni Reds flag of 1980. Staggering. Well, I think that you and I have just uncovered why the Uni Reds didn't last by themselves because they're making decisions like that. What is going on, Joseph? <laughs> Peter Hilly is one of only two players in the Uni Reds Fitzroy history to kick 100 goals. The other was uh, Pete mentioned in the chat. Mark Marsden in 1956 kicked 102 goals. Kane Margames, who of course is still running around, I think he's playing at Manningham these days. In right. 2003 and 2004, he kicked 97 and 95 goals as a young fella. Wow, we. That was 17 and 16 years ago, and he's still kicking the same amount of bags these days. <laughs> what a superstar. Now, I've got to mention this. I want to mention the team of the century. They did it uh, across 45 years of data between 1955 and 2000. From the back line, you know I like reading out these teams, Nico. Peter O'Keefe, Greg Cook, who is the vice captain, and Stephen Drury in the other back pocket. Andrew White on half back. Chris Anderson and Greg Thomas. That's a strong back six. If you do not mind, across the centre line, Russ Heddles, Greg Roughsedge, and Daniel Carr at half forward. Paul James, Jack Clancy at centre half forward, and Dennis Fosser in the forward line. Brucey Dare, Mark Marsden gets the full forward spot over Pete, and Justin Doyle in the other forward pocket. In the following positions, in the ruck, Peter Clayton, Jerry Hardy, and Michael Smale is the captain in the ruck roving spot, and on the bench. 
Charlie Hosking, Pete Marone, Patrick Jackson and Ian Jennings with Andy McNair, the coach of the Fitzroy Reds team of the century between 1955 and 2000. Very shortly, we are going to have a chat with Kevin Bulldog Murray. Now, your nervo meter about 45 minutes ago was through the roof. Is it still at fever pitch? I'm into I'm into the groove of things now. I'm very, very excited for Bulldog. All right. Well, we're going to chat to him about his time with Fitzroy and his links to the Fitzroy VFL side of things, of course, before they were the Fitzroy side that we know them to be today. They are the only club, Nico, to play in the VFA, the VFL, the AFL, and the VAFA, established back in 1883. Now, we're not going to ask Kevin to tell us what happened in 1883 because he won't remember, because he won't know, because he wasn't alive. But... You're going to tell us what happened in the year 1883 because this is what you do best. You spend the week crawling through the years and you're going to tell everyone what was going on in 1883. And I guarantee you Collingwood did not lose a grand final this year because they didn't exist. Yeah, simply amazing. (laughs) I'm glad this is the best thing I can bring to the Yamo. Forget about Kylie Jenner and Ariana Grande, Joey. If Insta was around in 1883, <laughs> the most influential Instagram influencer would certainly be Thomas Edison after he installed the first electric light lighting system with overhead wires. Could you imagine the engagement he would have received uploading that to Instagram in a little five-second clip of flicking the light switch on? Also in 1883, The Adventures of Pinocchio was oh, first yes. published. The first boys' public school in Australia was opened. It was Sydney Boys High, and it's got some famous alumni, such as ScoMo, have run through those walls. And lastly, for 1883, bank accounts of women across the globe had no idea what they were in for, Joey, because Gabrielle Bonner Chanel, or as we know her, Coco Chanel, was born, obviously. Fashion, jewellery, perfume. Wow. Coco Chanel, 1883. How about that? Who would have thought we could draw some sort of link between a Coco Chanel handbag and the Fitzroy Football Club? Not me, certainly not me. Now, before we chat to our guest who's hanging on the line and is about to say day to us, I want to ask you, as a young boy in the early 90s, do you have any recollection at all of Fitzroy? I do have a few. Um, from a family perspective, my brother became a Brisbane Bear shortly thereafter. So a few of those players I remember quite well. Jared Malloy being one. Alistair Lynch, you still see him these days and you think you could probably get a game the way the way he's looking. Chris <laughs> Johnson was another one. And I mean, we did the St. Bernard's and the West Brunswick podcast not long ago, probably a month ago, and one of those boys, Nick Mitchell. Yes. I remember him quite well, and his memories of those days were just outstanding to listen to not long ago. I did I did go back over a YouTube tape of Nick playing against Fremantle after we spoke to him, just to see if I could find a nice little highlight for us to clip up and release to the Vaffa world to prove that he did play for the Roys. There's one other one that sticks out for mine, um, is Simon Atkins. He was a senior assistant at St. Bernard's for a number of years, a member of the uh, 2015 A-grade premiership coaching team. Um, he kicked the last goal for Fitzroy in their last year in 1996, and it was against Fremantle. Unfortunately, they didn't get to play their last game at the MCG. They Their last game at the MCG, I'm sure you remember fondly because as a Tigers man, you've probably seen the replay a few times. It was a training drill for Richmond. They won by 151 points. Uh, didn't get near them, the Roys, but 
it is nice to have some vision of them in their last years um, playing out at the Whitnoble, the MCG, and against uh, Fremantle in that last game. We're going to chat right now, Nico, to Kevin Bulldog-Murray. He's been hanging on the line. He's heard our little bit of dribble now. But let's go deep into the archives of the old Fitzroy boys at VFL, AFL level with Kevin Murray. Murray battles two players, getting no assistance from his teammate. Murray battles Spear, doesn't he? Turns out into the week. Picked up Earl goal on the run earlier. And finds his skipper Murray. Kevin Murray, the Fitzroy skipper. His kick going towards goal. Bulldog Murray picks up. It's a high kick for Bulldog Murray. Murray. Kevin Murray, there he is. The old man playing his 300th game. His kick coming further forward to Boynich. From behind is Murray. Oh, no. to get rid of the ball. Bottles up, can't do anything. Bulldog Murray comes in. Punch it further afield to where Renwick. Got the lucky break there. Murray, he's been doing a great lead. He'll come off. Then they mark him. Nick, this is very exciting. We're going to go down memory lane and talk all things the VFL Fitzroy Football Club right now with Kevin Joseph Bulldog Murray, MBE. Over 18 seasons, he played 333 games. Nine best and fairest and a Brownlow medal in 1969. His father, Dan, also played for Fitzroy and was a member of their 1944 VFL Grand Final victory. And Kevin joins us on the Club in Focus podcast. Hello, Kevin. G'day, Joe. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. How are you during these times? Been struggling a bit, Joe. A couple of strokes and a couple of heart attacks and uh, getting over those things, but uh, never be the same, unfortunately. And, and you're recovering okay at the moment, Kev? Yeah, recovering okay. I mean, uh, I live uh, on an acre block about 14 mile on the Melbourne side of Shepparton, and um, it's nice and peaceful and quiet out here. The Goulburn River's only about five minutes' walk down the road. But um, getting by, I potter around and cut a bit of wood and do do what I can within reason. So, Kev, the reason we invited you on today, and we're talking all things Fitzroy from, from the amateur sides, and uh, in the uh, the early 90s, they, they merged with the Fitzroy AFL-VFL side, and, and they continued on with the logos and with the song and playing out at Brunswick Street Oval. Can we go back to yourself? Was it just because your father, Dan, played for Fitzroy that you fell in love with the footy club? Well, naturally, because we, we uh, when, I, when I first was born, we lived in Fitzroy, not far from the ground, in Westcar Street. Then we moved, when I was about eight, we moved down to Collingwood, but in the same street, once you crossed Smith Street, it was a street called Mater, M-A-T-R, Mater Street. And we were halfway between... Collingwood's ground and Fitzroy's ground. And when I went to school at St. Joseph's in Collingwood, Father Brosnan, who was chaplain of Pentridge later on, he was the um, parish priest, but he also coached the kids in football. So we we, we played a lot of games uh, on Collingwood ground as schoolboys, you know. So we were tied to Collingwood residentially, but my two brothers, Dan and Ron, who were both passed away, we, we, we were tied to Fitzroy too through our father. He played 66 games with Fitzroy and uh, we, we went to Fitzroy instead of going to Collingwood. And the 1944 Grand Final, Kev, you would have been a young boy at that stage. Do you have any recollections or memories of that premiership? Well, not so much the premiership, but I always remember during the course of that year, a bloke called George Smeaton, a tough bugger from 
Richmond broke my dad's jaw. So my dad had to get over that and then win his way back into the team. And in those days, they didn't have 19th and 20th. They only had 19 men. And my father won his way back into the team as the 19th man. But if you didn't get on the ground, that didn't count as a game. So my dad was very lucky to get a run in the last quarter where one of his teammates come off the ground to let him be part of the premiership. And that's how we happen to be in the 44 premiership. That's simply amazing. There's a similar story for the start of your career, isn't there, Kev? Um, your first few games, you were 19th or 20th man, and it took a few weeks for you to um, start. Yeah, that's exactly right. It was, um, it was at Brunswick Street, we were playing Geelong, and I, they, I was 19th or 20th man, and they give me Billy Stephen, give me a run in the last quarter, and I got a few kicks. And in the next week, we were playing Richmond down at Punt Road. And I was at 19th the 20th man again, and I got a run, uh, played on um, uh, a very good player from Richmond who uh, we finished up uh, playing a lot of games. But I got, I got on the ground and it counted as a game. So there were two games, I, even though I was on the bench, there was two games that were counted as a game, you know. So then the following week, I was picked on the halfback flank for a full game against Footscray out at Footscray. And uh, so that's how my career started. And that was the first of many, many fabulous games, Kevin. I want to go through a couple of heroes from Fitzroy of yours that you've mentioned before. Um, Norm Johnson is one that stands out, Kenny Ross and Colin Davey. Can you take us through some of the men and players from Fitzroy who you idolised? Yeah, oh, yeah, well, Normie Johnson, I mean, he's built like a brick shithouse. And uh, <laughs> he's a brick carter by trade. And he only knew one way that was like a steamroller. He just, once he got motor, motoring on the ground, he'd run over the top of people. But he was very tough and very hard. I remember what he said to us, and I carried this out through my whole career. Us kids were getting prepared to go out on the ground at, at Brunswick Street. He sort of said to us kids, listen, you kids, and don't mind me saying this over the, over the radio, but he said, listen, you kids, I want you to go in there and have a nervous shit before you get out in the ground. <laughs> he said, I don't want you shitting yourself out in the ground. He said, we're out, we're out there to play footy. He said, but I'll tell you what, he said, if someone whacks you during the course of the game, you whack them back. Because if you don't, I'll put shit on you for the rest of your career, and they'll tell the opposition you're a weak prick. He said, what, I don't want you king hitting anybody. He said, what you do is that if they, if they do it to you, he said, just wait till the ball's gone away from you, and then... Look down the ground to see where the goal umpire's looking and the boundary umpire's running. He said, and then give it to him. You know, so uh, I've done that most of my career and I, <laughs> I won a few fights, but I lost plenty too, you know? <laughs> now, Kev, when you first started playing, uh, Fitzroy's nickname at the time was, was the Gorillas by all reports. And obviously it didn't really stick much. It, I think it lasted until about 1956. What was that all about? Just trying to change the perception of Fitzroy? Why was the Gorillas become the nickname? Well, the, the reason too for that was Billy Stephen had a lot to do with that too because... See, um, the opposition supporters used to call some of our players apes and morons because they've been known as the gorillas, you know? Yep. And uh, I will admit some of them did look a bit rugged <laughs> and it could pass for that. But um, uh, I, have, I have wonderful memories of uh, Colin Davey, number 11. I mean, he, he was um, 
when I graduated from the um, from the wing to the half back flank and played alongside of him, uh, he was our centre half back. He was a fireman by trade, but he was our centre half back. And as we got to know each other and got accustomed to each other's form, he used to say to me, "Kev, you go for the ball and I'll knock him down." <laughs> so um, this this happened a lot. And of course, Kenny Ross, number twenty two. He went away to play with Camberwell. He left Fitzroy in my first year, and after my first year, and he, he went away to play with Camberwell, and he got beat by one vote in the Liston Trophy as, as captain and coach. And then the next year, as captain and coach again, he won the Liston Trophy. But he was a, a real tough, hard man, trained very hard, but legendary people. You know, I um I always remember hitting Barassi in the head because he, he decked Donnie Furness because... Um, Eric Kingston, one of the trainers, ran past me. He said, you see what that dirty Barassi's done to Donny Furness? I looked up and Donny Furness was knocked out in the middle of the ground. So I ran up and I hit Barassi in the head as hard as I could. And he hit the ground, but he bounced up and started chasing me, you know. <laughs> and he got into trouble after the game by um, his coach, Norm Smith, for what he'd done. And he got into trouble by our coach, Len Smith, <laughs> because Len Smith was his uh, boss at... Miller's rope works, you know. <laughs> yeah, so um, a lot of a lot of history, you know. But I was very lucky, really. I mean, I, I trained with the thirds from the time I was thirteen. Never had a chance of getting a game, but at least Len Smith let me train with them, and he, he taught me a lot too. And that, and in uh, in those days too, I was playing in it with the men. I was only fourteen years of age. I was playing with the men in a Sunday competition. Uh, not not the one where um, the Lu Shings and all that had uh, Carlton Stars, Carlton Rovers, um, all those tough teams. They were up at Campbell there. I was in the association playing with this fit team, Fitzroy United. And I played with them when I was 14, you know. Kev, you mentioned just then uh, taking on Ron Barassi. You would have come up against... Uh, the powerhouse sides of, of Melbourne and, and of Carlton and, you know, in their back line, John Nichols, sorry, in, in the ruck, actually, John Nichols. You've played against some stars at Collingwood, probably against, you know, the likes of Peter McKenna and those players, Kevin Bartlett at Richmond. Were, were there teams that you feared when you went out there to play? Yeah, well, I mean, you always... I lived between Fitzroy's ground and the Collingwood's ground. So when we were playing Collingwood, I only had to walk down from where we lived and walk across the bridge over the railway line. And um, and you knew you were going to do it hard down there because they 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 were really hard hard line supporters, but uh, just like normal supporters, uh, <laughs> love their club, love their club. But I uh, I was very lucky because I I used to idolise Bobby Rose because I used to go and watch uh, another um, Collingwood bloke play. Um, Ivan Clues was his name. Jackie Clues was a mate of mine. So his brother Ivan often got a game with the Spurs or we'd watch him play in the seconds. So even though I broke for Fitzroy, I also had a soft spot for Collingwood. And not only that, I played on a lot of on their ground, you know. And I always remember um, towards my end of my career, um, they put me on, we're playing Collingwood at Victoria Park and they had me in the back pocket minding the resting Ruckman. That was Jerka Jenkins, Len Thompson, and Bob Hurd. So there was six foot six, six foot seven, and six foot eight. So I had to run from about 20 yards back to jump up and try and either whack him in the back of the head or um, 
knock the ball out of their arms and try and period it on the ground. So hard experience, but at the same time, you, you took those challenges on. Kevin, I don't think you realise how big a smile you've just put on Joey's face when you've said that you also had a soft <laughs> spot for Collingwood. But you also did mention some great supporters from other clubs, but Fitzroy supporters are well known to be probably the most passionate there are out there. What are your memories of the the support you received from Fitzroy supporters over the journey? Well, see, the good part about the Fitzroy supporters was that they never deserted you. You know, like they get there, the seconds played before the seniors later on in my career. The thirds used to play before the seniors, but then they changed that system so as that the seconds play before the seniors, so as that the senior body had a chance of judging some of these seconds players coming up through the ranks. So, um, but they never deserted. You know, win, lose, or draw, they'd be there the next week supporting you. And, uh, you know, I always remember a, a bloke called Billy Crofts, and um, we played football on the um, little little oval near the Fitzroy Bars, and we used to have a competition there. But anyway, he, he was a mad Fitzroy supporter and loved Fitzroy. And um, we were playing Carlton one day up at Princess Park, and um, one bloke happened to have a go at me, a supporter bloke, you know, and he called, he said, get out, you dirty kicker Murray. And this Billy Crofts turned around and he said, um, how come when I come to the football, I stand next to idiots, you know? And this bloke said, who are you talking about? He said, well, you look like the first idiot, cop this. So he decked him. So uh, that's how things were. They were very passionate, very wonderful people. That's a fantastic story, Kev. I mean, I want to touch on you're inducted into the AFL Hall of Fame and you were upgraded to legend status in 2010, but... You're on record as saying being named in the Fitzroy Team of the Century is one of the highlights for you. Oh, naturally. I mean, to be be appointed captain of the Team of the Century, well, to get into the Team of the Century was wonderful to be. But to be appointed captain of with all those great players that had played before my time and during my time, it was a wonderful, wonderful thrill, tremendous thrill. You know, my my family, you know, and of course, me, my dad was so proud of that, but I... I owed him a lot because he, he treated a lot of my injuries outside of my own trainer, Tommy Johnson. He treated a lot of my injuries and looked after me really well and I made sure that um, when I gave football away, I took him away all the time, buying him a few beers and doing a bit of fishing and uh, up, at, up at Swan Hill and Ultima, near 20 mile out of Swan Hill. And um, we, we had a mighty time together and... Uh, I adored him, and he, he taught me so much. He taught me so much. The one m- most important thing he taught me was, no matter how hard the battle is, you never give in. Never give in. Kev, the Brownlow medal, it's uh, footy's highest honour, and uh, there's a few at Fitzroy who, of course, have won the Brownlow medal, including Hayden Bunton, who won it three times, and Dinny Ryan won it in 36, and Chicken Smallhorn in 33. You won yours in 1969, and... Of course, for people who have heard you speak before, they know that you tell a great story around the fact that you still wear your Brownlow medal, Kev. Can you explain the reasons for people who may not know why you still wear your Brownlow medal each and every day? It's something to be very proud of, naturally. And it was always presented with on a navy blue ribbon. And your first semi-final day, you ran a lap of honour at, at, at the MCG. And um, my father asked me, he rang me on the Friday night and he said, Kev, he said, when you've got to get the medal presented to you tomorrow by the governor, he said, would you do mum and I a favour and 
and wear a long sleeve jumper to hide your tattoos. And I, I really wanted to leave, wear a short sleeve jumper because I, I played in that so much. Anyway, I'd done my dad a favour and put this long sleeve jumper on. But the football record that day, first semi final day, they had me on the front cover with a Fitzroy short sleeve jumper on. And uh, my tattoos were showing then, you know. But uh, I'm me, my dad, I owed, uh, I owed him so much for all the work that he'd done to keep me on the ground. When I, when Wiedemann broke my cheekbone in 1958, I never missed another league game except for playing for Victoria or playing for Western Australia. I never missed another league game until I finished in 1974. So that the last 15 or 16 seasons, I played with injuries, busted shoulders, torn hamstrings. You know, you mightn't believe that, but yeah, that, that, those things you, you, you got away with. The reason I do wear it is that I got stopped so much in the street by a father with his son or daughter to get an autograph or get a photo taken. And I put this brown low around the kid's neck so as that they've got something to remember me by when I'm pushing up daisies. And what about, you mentioned in, in there, Kev, the honour of, of representing uh, both Victoria and WA. Talk to us about representative footy. I mean, that for all Victorian boys when they're, when they're coming through, not only do they want to play in the VFL or in the AFL, but the honour of representing your state is something that uh, a few people get to uh, cherish. Well, it's, it's a proud moment, believe me. You know, um, as a kid from Collingwood with, with the arse out of my pants, um, to be able to play with Fitzroy for all those years and also to play 24 games for Victoria was a, was a, a tremendous honour. And then to be, to be made captain of the Victorian team, you know, uh, in 1964, it was so, such a thrill. Such a thrill to be made not only in the team, to be captain of the team. And then I went over to East Perth and, of course, um, the Perth people, wonderful people, terrific people, and and they're a great club of East Perth. But at the same time, I was a Victorian, so some of their players uh, were a bit upset having me there because they they appointed me after one of their great coaches and, and players, Jack Sheedy, and um, some of the players were... They were very attached to Sheedy. So some of them made it a bit hard for me when I first started there, but I wasn't going to let them beat me. I was going to make sure they, they come my way or they wouldn't be there, you know. So I had a couple of lovely seasons there and um, I um, won the best and fairest in, in 1965. And um, then I was, the next year when I went back, I came back to Melbourne over the summer and then I went back to, Coach East Perth again in 66 and the West Australian selectors made me captain and coach of their state team for the 66 Carnival in Hobart and that was a wonderful thrill to be made captain and coach of Victoria and captain of Victoria at least and captain and coach of WA. And Kev just now to the present day how great is it for someone like yourself who's been uh, who's just been so outstanding across a long period of time for the Fitzroy Footy Club. How great is it to still see Fitzroy playing and to hear that theme song when the boys run out there each week? Yeah, well, that's why at Brunswick Street Oval, I, I often used to go down there to, to watch them play down there. Bill Atherton and all the boys, they've, they've done a mighty job promoting the Fitzroy Footy Club. I don't go down there as much now, mainly because of my medical condition, but it, it was mighty to just be part of it and see 
how much effort they put in and what how it inspired all the people from the area to come back to Fitzroy. Kev, were you part of discussions at all when they did merge with the then defunct AFL Fitzroy side? Yeah, well, I, I spoke on their behalf because um, might have been Noel Gordon, I'm not sure. He, he'd been on the television and he, on the Thursday night on the footy show, whatever it was, he mentioned something about they're going to take over Fitzroy. But the Fitzroy people, they had a, they had, at Sir Dallas Brooks Hall on the Monday night after that Thursday night show on the footy show, they had Andrew Ireland up on stage. It might have been Noel Gordon and there was Arthur Wilson and myself and Billy Stephen. Noel Gordon went to talk and, and, and Andrew Ireland went to talk and they booed him off the stage, you know. And uh, so they asked Billy Stephen and I to say a few words. And um, I, I knew that um, uh, they were struggling Fitzroy financially. And often when some of our players went away over the summer, they'd try and sell them to try and get money in to keep the club going the next year. And I, I reckon our future was up in Brisbane. For the people that didn't support the Brisbane Lions to start with, Missed out on seeing some of those magnificent players play in those three premierships. Just magnificent it was to see them play and so proud of them because um, they're out now champions. That they were, and they've proven themselves to be that uh, between those uh, three premierships and the grand final in the fourth year. You've got an amazing CV, a lot of records and a lot of awards. Uh, up until recently, you had a, a, a title next to your name that... Uh, probably didn't sit all that well with you, that you played in the most amount of losses, 208. Um, Cade Simpson went past that number earlier this year. Is it uh, nice to know that you've passed on that honour? Well, I mean, um, he's been a great player for Carlton, let's face it. He's been mighty. And uh, the Blues um, are having a, a first season this year. They've improved a, a lot. But, I mean, it's wonderful to see that he survived the test of time. And I wish him well because when you go out there, you go out to win. You don't go out to lose. You go out to win, and all right. If you if you if you don't win the games, well, that's bad luck. There's always next week. Maybe the tide will turn next week in your favour. So, um, but the most enjoyable part was to be able to be part of of a great club, the Fitzroy Football Club. And as we let you go, Kev, can you just sum up in in a couple of sentences at all what this footy club means to you, means to your family, and and to your life? Well, it means so much. It is my life. It is my family, and I class it that way. And um, and um, the the people that I played football with over all those years, they were like brothers to me. And you, you loved every one of them. And it, you had to have a special feeling for them. Billy Stevens was a great person for me. He gave me every opportunity, and he taught me well. And I learned a lot through the late Len Smith when he was coach of the thirds and coach, coach of Fitzroy Football Club. I learned a lot through all those people who guide you, guided you through the years of you being the one later on to be able to guide some of these younger blokes through as they come through at Brunswick Street or down the Junction Oval. Kev, it's been an absolute honour having you on the on the show today. Uh, we really do appreciate you giving us some of your time and taking us down memory lane. Good luck with your health. Hopefully you're on the mend and uh, we get to chat again soon and hopefully next year see you maybe down at Brunswick Street Oval. Take care. All right. All keep safe too.
look ahead and look after each other. How good to hear from Kevin Bulldog Murray, Nico, the never-say-die spirit of the club. Oh, boy. He epitomises every bit of that and then some when he recounts some of the stories that he tells. I mean, it's just fascinating. I was in awe the whole time. Simply amazing. I must admit there were a few standouts in amongst them for me. I mean, the fact that they didn't want to shit themselves when they went out onto the ground and they were forced to do it in the pregame clearly is going to be something that sticks with me for quite a while. But it's simply amazing. You think about what he's done. Like he's, won a, he's won a Brownlow medal. He's an inductee. I mean, he's an MBE. So he shook the Queen's hand in 1970. Like, it's just simply amazing. Like, he has done anything, everything that an AFL, VFL, VFA player could really ever dream of, besides, obviously, that grand final victory. Yes, missed out on that. But how about that? You're right. They played against the Tigers and, and the Queen came down, your beloved Tigers. I know uh, Kevin Bartlett talks very fondly about that day, the fact that uh, she'll never be invited to another Richmond game again. Of course, <laughs> Richmond had won the flag and she was there to help unfurl it that day in 1970 and they lost to Fitzroy. Um, they were also part, Nico, of the first ever match at Waverley against Geelong. But unfortunately, you're right, the, um, the premiership was eluded. Kevin Murray, he also missed out on their night premiership in 1978. There are many stories that can go with the Fitzroy Footy Club, Nico. And I just love getting out to Brunswick Street Oval. And the first time I was out there without realising this, I just was playing, obviously, before the senior side ran out there. And they came out with the song blaring through the speaker. And, and I couldn't quite believe what I was hearing. Just a, a little bit of nostalgic is probably the best word to use. Nostalgic. And I wish every other footy club could somehow get their theme song recorded so the same could happen. And how'd you go that day, Joey? Uh, pretty well, pretty well. I have had a couple of good games against Fitzroy, oh. not that particular day. And you know, I'm very modest about my football career. I don't <laughs> like to talk about it too much, but I did in one season, uh, we played against them twice, uh, early on in the year, kick five, um, had a pretty good day out the snake pit on the main oval too. If you don't mind kick five in a, in a romping win. And then later in the year, I, th- I reckon it was 2008 because their ground was being redeveloped. Is that Oz kick? Uh, no, no, it wasn't Ozking. It was in the uh, in the under nineteens. So they were playing home games at Victoria Park, of course, the greatest of all grounds. If you're a Collingwood fan, and it was my one hundredth game, milestone game. Lead the team out, kick six on Victoria Park against Fitzroy, thumping win, including a little Dacos special from the pocket. But I, I said, I don't want to talk about myself. It's not about me. But I just had a day out against Fitzroy, not once. But twice. Fantastic stuff. Fantastic stuff. Let's keep moving because we want to talk about the modern day. We want to talk to the captain of the women's side. Her name is Jess Hayes and she is about to join us. Nick, 
Nick, we've already had a huge podcast. Ross Stevenson has joined us, the host of 3W Breakfast. We spoke to Kevin Bulldog Murray, the greatest Fitzroy of all time, uh, the current president, Joan Eddy, and Peter Hilly, who is the president of the Reds Foundation and a former Fitzroy president himself. Let's move in to the modern day, to the current playing group. We're going to go to the Fitzroy ACU team. That's the women's side. And the captain, Jessica Hayes, has been good enough to join us. Hello, Jess. Hello, thank you for having me. Uh, thanks for joining us. It's been a massive podcast already and we're excited to look at the present day. Of course, without a season this year, all we can do is talk about how the pre-season went. And after a few years in the Ammos now, Jess, how did your third or fourth pre-season go? It was probably the best one so far. It was the, I guess the wheels were really turning and we were starting to pick up that momentum. But I think we really needed it for this season, being our first season in Premier B. Um, and it was really exciting. The vibes were up and everyone was pretty pumped and ready to go. So, Jess, according to your records, you've played over 40 games for Fitzroy now. So I'm assuming you're one of the more established players in your team. Over the three or four pre-seasons you've seen, what's the skill level like and the vibe and the excitement around the girls every year now? I think the reason that I keep coming back and have uh, hit those 40-something games is because the girls are fantastic. And even though I've played more games than some, I guess the strength from all of the people coming in from other sports and other teams is fantastic. And the skill level is just increasing as um, time goes on, which is fantastic. It's amazing, Joey. We've sat here for about an hour now and we've spoken about history being made left, right and centre when it comes to Fitzroy. And it was only, I think, last year, when it was made by the women's team, when um, Jess and her girls played under lights at Brunswick Street yes. Oval for the first time against West Brunswick. What were your, were your memories of that, Jess? It was such an experience. I think I spent the whole day just thinking about, you know, the what could be, which is something that I've never really done before. Um, I'm very much into my routines and my routine was thrown because we had to wait until that seven o'clock start time. But it was so great to be a part of that history-making experience, but also to have the crowd that was there, which is something that we don't always have, as well as something cool and something different. And being a part of history was fantastic. And it was just so cool. Well, tell us about some of the um, your teammates who played in that game and who you have played with over the last few years. And um, some of the standouts for you, we know that Tash Ross-Harris won the first ever William Buck Premier Women's Best and Fairest. Teresa Zampaglioni dominated for the Big B last year. So just tell us a bit about some of your teammates. Uh, I guess starting with the wonderful Rosso. In my first season when I came to the Roys, that was the season, like the first year that we were in the VAPA. And Rosso was just one of those people that you would stop and stare at when she was playing her footy because she just, she just knew what she was doing and was fantastic. But as soon as she was off the field, she was you know, just one of the girls who, you know, went out there and tried her very best and just really humble about it all and just really fantastic to watch play footy. Um, Razor is one of a kind. I think that, you know, we'll never find another person like Razor. Incredibly skilled, a little bit weird off the field, um, <laughs> which, you know, I think is something that the Fitzroy girls pride themselves on is just, being a little bit left of centre, and I think that's why we all get along so well. Um, so, Ray's is fantastic. Um, I think 
in my first season, we were very proud of our backline. We always spoke about our backline being super strong and um, being the reason that we had great levels of success. And I say that because I was in the backline. So, yeah, <laughs> you know, the backline the back were fantastic um, and all of that. But the wonderful thing about the Roys is that even though we have these standout players, everybody contributes and plays their role and is a part of something bigger. Even if we're not winning our games, there's that camaraderie that comes through when we are playing that I don't think girls stand out based on their skills. I think that each um, girl brings something different and is wonderful to play with for all of their different strengths that come into play. Now, Jess, uh, we've done a few of these Club in Focus podcasts and quite often we'll talk to the club that is in focus about some of their rivals. And Nick asked you about the West Brunswick night match. Um, You've also got some form of rivalry against the Brunswick Renegades, who we have put in focus before, and the Hipster Cup. What is the Hipster Cup all about, Jess? Uh, The idea of Fitzroy and Brunswick, both being uh, the hipster capitals of Melbourne. Uh, A fun rivalry that we're competing for. I think if I say the hippest team, that doesn't make us sound very hipster. Um, <laughs> but I'm going to say the hippest team anyway. Um, yeah, so whatever team is the hippest is obviously going to win the Hipster Cup. So it's a bit of fun and brings that connection between different clubs, which is great. So are we looking for off-field sort of hipster style or are we talking about whoever wins the match claims the Hipster Cup here? Look, whoever wins the match claims the Hipster Cup, but... I think it definitely comes to, you know, who, uh, which team have, is wearing more Birkenstocks than the other or Blundstones, also <laughs> a big thing in the hipster world I've found. Definitely things that I've had to purchase since joining Fitzroy. And I think, I think it's a bit of both, but ultimately the cup goes to the winning team. And from a personal perspective, Jess, I'm not sure if you grew up as a footy nut or not, but obviously Fitzroy have got great ties and they've been around for a very, very long time. Um, Myself, when I go out to Brunswick Street Oval, I'm, I'm quite in awe of the place because of obviously the history that comes along with it. Do, do you follow that kind of thing and understand or get some kind of grasp on just how significant it is playing on Brunswick Street Oval for your home games every week? I think it's it's a really big deal. And because we don't get to play on BSO as often uh, as we'd like because of all of the scheduling and fixtures and all of that, when we do get to play on it, there's something about the girls' attitudes and everything that's going on list. And it could be because of the knowledge that we have of that bigger part of history. But there's just a vibe that comes when you are at BSO. And I think everyone takes their game to the next level when we are there, which is, you know, that's the dream. That's what that's what we're there for. So it is fantastic. Yes, just last one for me. I just want to touch on Fitzroy. And I suppose them being ahead of the pack in a lot of ways when it comes to women in positions of power and executive. And you look at Joan, who we've spoken to on this podcast, being your president, Sharon as secretary, Kate and Casey have also been in positions like that. How good is it for the playing group, for the girls run around each weekend, to have these sorts of role models at the club? I think particularly as we're getting younger and younger girls coming through, to see powerful women doing their thing is fantastic and it's nothing that is forced. It's nothing that, you know, you have to ask of them. It's just uh, them doing their thing and being inspirational in that sense because 
it sort of gives you that drive to be proud of who you are and what you've got going for you. So I think we're pretty lucky in that sense. Jess, it's been magnificent to catch up with you this morning and, and go down uh, the women's side of the Fitzroy Footy Club with Fitzroy ACU. Hopefully in a few weeks' time we can get these numbers down, we get a pre-season again and we go again in 2021. Thanks for joining us. No, thank you for having me. Looking forward to it. To our supporters, we've got a very loyal uh, group that follow us everywhere from Keysborough to Keelor, and they're there every week behind the goals or in their, in their Roy's gear. Um, it's something that I know the players love seeing is all the Fitzroy colours, so I appreciate the massive crowd we've got out here today and your support all year. To my players, thank you. <laughs> You're a group that every time I, I give you something that you know you just bought in from the start, and you just love the hard work we put in. You were hungry, you were so determined to get the job done this year. You're so wrapped for the, the group of guys that just make me very proud of what you did and everything I threw at you. And you, you know, you, you should really you deserve this. Feel good. <laughs> And um, we're going to celebrate. Well, Nico, we move from the captain of the women's team to the captain of the men's side. I'm talking about Julian Turner. Leads from the front every single week, and he has the great privilege of running out on Brunswick Street Oval to that famous theme song before every home game, as we've spoken about a few times throughout the podcast. He joins us now. Hello, Julian. Hi, boys. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. Uh, let's start with the fact that you are the captain of Old Fitzroy, the Fitzroy boys. You get to run out on Brunswick Street Oval for home games to the theme song. I mean, what's that like for someone who plays at another club and hasn't experienced that kind of stuff before? What's it like to run out on Brunswick Street Oval with the song blaring? Uh, it's pretty, I mean, I think some other fans have a bit of a chuckle out of the times, and I think I, I probably did as well at the, at the start. <laughs> Once you sort of get past that, well, that's a bit strange. Um, then you really start to enjoy it because it's quite unique. And uh, like we just love Brunswick Shoot Oval. Just I couldn't think of a better place to, to play, really. So running out is uh, it's a real privilege. Yeah, I love it. And what's your footballing journey, Julian? I mean, did it just start playing juniors out that way and you gravitated into the seniors? Or have you come from elsewhere and joined? How did you get involved with Fitzroy? Uh, so I started in the juniors in, um, I think, maybe under 10. And then, uh, yeah, just, just been there ever since. Played twos in the 19s for, I think, the first year. And then second year in 19s, we uh, won the flag in 2010, which was great. And then the year after that, I think I played two or three senior games uh, in my third year in 19s. What was the difference, do you reckon, Jules? Like coming from the seconds in the 19s and working your way up to not just become one of the best players, but also the captain? Good little question to answer. I think... It, it's hard to know without having any other experience apart from my own. I wasn't really um, any sort of... Uh, I, don't, I don't know if I was any leadership material or anything like that either for a while. I was never in any leadership groups or anything like that um, until uh, I think the year, the, maybe the year before I was captain or two years before I was captain. So it changed pretty quickly, I suppose. But yeah, I had a lot of, um, a lot of injuries in the first Probably my first four or five years of, of seniors only played like eight or nine games a year, I think. Uh, and um, so I guess once that, once I got on top of that, then it, um, 
move forward from there. I think you'll find, Joseph, that his form may have coincided with him consuming more Brunswick Street Oval burgers after each game. I think that may have had something to do with it, a bit of a diet change. But I want to fast forward a little bit here, Jules, because you're the one I've really been looking forward to speaking about 2018 specifically with. Like, Obviously, it's been an incredible journey. Um, as we've said, you wear the jumper of Fitzroy, which dates back a very, very long time. And you guys became the first side um, since the merger to win that senior flag in 2018. Can you take us through that flag and just how it felt to be leading the boys that day? A bit surreal, really. Um, obviously, that was my first year as captain after, uh, I think, maybe, I don't know how many years, Rory had obviously um, been the man. When I came in, I still had like, Tom Cheshire, Rory, like really strong um, really strong leaders and, and role models that were there for me to quote unquote lead, I suppose. The team was just really well structured and set up and I, I don't feel like I had to really do very much to be honest in terms of in terms of leadership. I, um I yeah, I was just able to keep sort of trying to do what I was doing and, and be myself and we uh yeah, and it and it worked well but I suppose we were we were quite stung by um the relegation the year before, and then yeah, just came out had a really good preseason. That, that's the first time I've ever been uh, relegated. The final series was uh, unbelievable, really. Uh, so obviously, Williamstown were our were our major rival that that entire year. Um, we were both undefeated, I think, going into a round round seven or eight, and uh, we beat them at Brunswick Street, and then they beat us later in the year and I think they I don't know if they lost to anyone during the year apart from us um, whereas we had a few little stumbles in the run home maybe lost two or three more games than that so they were probably favourites and then um, we managed to beat them uh, at Bill Laurie in the first final uh, I only played a quarter and then did my hamstring I had to watch that um, which is a thriller and obviously, you probably know the goal, the end chest from the, the boundary that, that, that was, I think, back a goal of the week or year or something like that. Of the century. Yeah. <laughs> and then the, uh, the, the Williamstown-Geelong prelim was actually, I reckon, even a better game. Uh, like, we went to watch that, and that was just incredible, uh, like, the finish to it. Yeah, Geelong, I think, won by a point. I guess they they were bashed up as well after after playing Williamstown. Um and so yeah, we we got on top of them pretty early in the in the grand final, I suppose. I was pinching myself for sure. Um, the way we started the game was just incredible. Um, it's just one of those days where everything goes right, you know. Jules, can I ask you, um, going into the game, and there's so many different sort of angles. You've you've got the final series, as you just explained. You've got the first time you're back on grand final day since I think it was the 2012 loss to Parkdale, and of course you're going for this. First flag that uh, since the merge began, you've got Luke Marnie in his first year as coach, and as you've just mentioned in an answer, you've you've gone off injured in the first semi and you've got yourself up at quarter time. Obviously, it's looking pretty. It's about eight goals to three behinds. Did you feel at any stage during the game that you had it won, or was it when the final siren did go that you knew it was your time to celebrate? I'm never one to to think the game's over uh, until oh, I reckon. Minutes to go, maybe 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 seven or eight minutes to go in the last 
in the last quarter when we were obviously pretty pretty comfortably ahead. That that was probably when I thought maybe maybe. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm I'm very uh, nervous in terms of the the ability of momentum to shift and and come back to happen. Um, so I'm I'm always loath to to consider a game over and, until it is whether we're behind or in front. Um, I was thoroughly enjoying it, but almost almost more stressed because like oh imagine they they come back from here like we have to keep the foot down here or else um, we'll, we'll be in the history books you know for blowing an eight goal lead in the grand final. Now were you uh, ever a chance to miss? You just mentioned you hurt your hamstring in the semi final. I mean, did you get close to not playing on grand final day? Uh, I I did I did uh, to be honest didn't train particularly strongly. I was pretty nervy. It was sort of up to me, I suppose. It, 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 it often is. Yeah, did a little sort of train and still wasn't really sure. I sort of got through a bit, but didn't want to um, overdo it, I suppose, since if I was going to play, but wanted to make sure I, I would be able to get through. Uh, and then just did a, an extra little fitness test after training with Marn, just out in the middle of the oval. And then um, I thought I think I can uh, I think I can do enough here uh, if I just avoid doing one or two particular things. I think I'll be all right. To be honest, I, I think I famously had uh, two, maybe three possessions for the entire day. <laughs> uh, but but I actually felt fine. I, I, um, I was a little bit sore, but really I, I wasn't really carrying a, a serious injury. I felt okay. I just I just had a very very quiet game. It doesn't matter, Joey, whether you're 1%, whether you're 2%, you are playing that grand final if you're the captain. I've Absolutely. got no doubt that when he was saying to Marnes in their private little fitness session that he was 100% ready to go, Always Irres- irrespective of how it felt. I do want to ask you, Jules, because Joey and I sit here and our biggest fans are probably our parents who tune in every <laughs> week, but you, you've got the entire Fitzroy supporter base behind you. And how was it um, not just winning for you guys and the boys and the club, but for your supporters as well. It's hard to hard to explain it, I suppose, because we every every week, like we play, and we have so many people that we see at every game, and know a lot of them, talk to a lot of them, um, and it it still is a little bit different. Um, like, oh yeah, we know they they love us and they support us, but some of the some of the emotion um, that we saw from them after the grand final just really. Uh, really sunk in like quite how much it means to some of those people which is really uh really special and yeah even even after we're we're coming off after a a loss like and that sort of thing they're always still like pumping us up on the way off the ground like good try clapping us off that sort of thing and and then then we get a spray in the room um (laughs) for losing deservedly but they're still they're still just um so positive and so supportive uh some of the uh emotions after the the final when they started singing the song on the ground after the grand final, which I don't know if that's kosher, but they they were just overcome with emotion, a lot of the supporters, which was, um, yeah, really special. And as you might know, Jules, over the past year or two, we have our weekly podcast and your senior coach and one of our favourites, Luke Marnie, is a semi-regular. He's been on quite a few times and Joey likes to take liberties um, at the best of times, but particularly with Mars and Calls him Lukey every single time he comes on. I just want to know if that's caught on at all at the club. <laughs> Lukey. 
<laughs> I, don't, yeah. I don't think I've ever heard anyone call him Luke. <laughs> <laughs> I can confirm that uh, when I said it the first time, Nick Armistead nearly fell off his chair and gave me a stare. Like, he doesn't get called Lukey ever, and he doesn't quite like being called Lukey, and it's never going to catch on, Jules. <laughs> well, well, we can work on that. Uh, I'm, I, uh, yeah, I'm glad, glad to... Uh, here he doesn't like it. I've heard it a, a couple of times um, from you guys, but no, I don't reckon anyone at, at, at the club's ever called him it, but I'd have to start. It's like playing with a few nicknames and that sort of thing. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, if we ever play footy again, um, maybe I'll, we'll try it on. Let's hope we do. Can I ask you about him on a, on a serious note? That premiership was the first time he took the reins at your club and, and coached you to a flag. And what's he like to play under as, as the coach? Uh, he's great. Uh, from when he came in, I suppose it's always interesting going from being relegated and, and losing a coach like in that year, which is obviously very tough, to then um, being down a grade and having a new coach. And I guess it's, it's you probably would say it's good timing because uh, you sort of it's a fresh start and um, yeah, fresh perspectives and all that sort of thing. Um, but everyone everyone was pretty on board uh, early on. We liked the way we wanted to play. He's hard when he needs to be, but uh, he's, he's very supportive when he needs to be as well. From the conversations we had about me taking over as captain, I felt um, really confident and uh, like well supported, and and have um, since. He says he has a max of uh, three sprays a year or something like that, like three <laughs> proper sprays. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think that's a, that's a good rule. His speech before uh, the grand final was um, is written into legend, um, but I won't share that. Uh, I'll leave that to him if he, if he ever um, chooses to. Yeah, he's fantastic. He's been great through this whole process as well. Very supportive, always wanting to do um, find things for the for the players to keep feeling connected and engaged, which is really important. He's a very, very good, good man, Marns. We love him here on the podcast nearly as much as you guys love him down at Fitzroy. <laughs> but moving from the, the coach to the players, we've spoken about quite a the few of the greats from the Uni Reds era particularly, but more recently you've had, uh, I suppose, the privilege of playing under and playing alongside one of the modern-day greats, that being Rory Angiolala. Can you tell us a little bit about Rory and the impact he had on the, on the club while he was down there? Uh, well, I think you probably get you get an idea of, of what he's like. I mean, you guys have probably spoken to him, but just in general from hearing about him and hearing people speak about him, you'd have a fair idea of, of what kind of person he is um, and what kind of leader he is. He was that real, like, you know, you'd follow him through a brick wall kind of uh, kind of captain and player, just uh, stood up when he needed to, put his body and his lungs on the line like at, at every... Uh, every occasion and yeah he, he was a real uh, role model and a leader for, for any young guy coming through when when he was there um, not just the way he played football but the way he carried himself um, in general as well <laughs> after a maturing process he took over in what he's 21 years old or something when he was first made um, might have been co-captain at that point um, yeah it was a, it was a uh, very sad to see him go but he quite happy now he's uh married got a little boy yeah he's, he's doing great 
Father, son, on the way, no doubt about that. There's one I want to ask you about, Jules, uh, just before we do let you go. Uh, he wears number 120, so he's captured my imagination and my attention. Uh, Matthew Gate, Gator, why does he wear number 120? <laughs> uh, I don't know if I have a, um, a confident answer for that, but I, I'm, I think it might have been from when he um, played in the thirds, uh, may, or maybe it was when he came from the thirds to, to the seniors and there, there was already a, a 20, perhaps, and he just he just taped a one alongside it. <laughs> uh, and, um, I mean, it, it, it stuck. Uh, like, it's that classic, like, you know, local footy, oh, no, we've got two of the same jumper. I oh, will just, just tape a one on the side of <laughs> the strapping tape. Um and then, yeah, it obviously like it suited him perfectly. There might be a better answer for that, but I don't have it, unfortunately. Brilliant to have him, um, have him play, and especially when we, obviously, when we'd been in Vigo for a while, um, other teams sort of sort of knew of him. But when we were relegated and we were playing a whole set of new teams, we hadn't hadn't played for a while. Um, every every game we played, one of the like he'd, he'd sort of walk out and they'd go, oh, look at, my first they'd go, look at the size of that guy, right? <laughs> and then he'd turn around and they'd go, oh, number 120. And they, well, a lot of people had a chuckle, I reckon, um, <laughs> despite themselves. Despite being a opponent, they couldn't help themselves but just have a little bit of a laugh at um, the, the state of him, I suppose. Jules, we've asked everyone that we've spoken to on this podcast if they can at all sum up what the Fitzroy Footy Club means to them. You're the premiership captain of the most recent premiership side back in 2018. Can you sum up at all what this club does mean to you? I always hate answering questions like this because I always feel like I think of a better answer uh, afterwards. But <laughs> this uh, this whole period has, uh, I guess, given... Like, I knew I knew that I'd, I sort of put a lot into it, but um, this, this period has really um, made, it, made it clear quite how much it does mean to me, I think. Um, we, uh, I got asked a little while ago what, uh, what I'd think if, or how I'd feel if the, the club sort of ceased to exist. Uh, and I was a bit speechless, to be honest. I hadn't, hadn't at all considered that to be any possibility, and I didn't, I was a bit bored by it, to be honest. Um, so just basically for all the reasons we've, we've spoken about, all the people there and the supporters and that sort of thing, um, playing out on the ground, all of that. Uh, it's, yeah, a lot, <laughs> a lot, um, a lot of time and blood and sweat and tears um, into it, and uh, yeah, I would like to would like to stick around for as, as long as I can, really. I'm sure yourself and, and many other Fitzroy fans would like it to stick around for as long as they can. They've already seen once their team go into extinction at uh, AFL level, so hopefully they keep this one going. Longer than they've already been around, which is almost 140 years, Jules. It's been a pleasure to chat to you and go down memory lane of recent times and talk about the flag of 2018. Uh, hopefully, we do have footy in 2021 and we get to see you leading the boys out there next year, mate. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, I hope so too. Thanks a lot. Thank you very much. Nico, this has been massive. Like, the biggest of all time. We haven't done one bigger than this. Uh, Joan Eddy. 
Peter Hilly, Ross Stevenson, Kevin Bulldog Murray, Jess Hayes, Jules Turner. Massive podcast. Wouldn't be possible without the help and support of Mequacare, one of the best aged care facilities around the planet. How's your nervous meter now that it's all done? Oh, I'm all right. I'm a bit buggered. I'm not going to lie. I feel like Kevin Murray at the end of his career with all his ailments and injuries and 16 seasons straight, just playing through soreness every single week. No, that was absolutely fantastic. It was just so great to see from different perspectives. I mean, you've got the modern day players, as we said, you've got the Reds aspect, you've got the Fitzroy aspect. I mean, at the end of the day, we spoke to the greatest Roy of all time. <laughs> Simply amazing. You spoke, you were spoken to a woman who's pioneered in a lot of ways, lead, leadership and leadership positions within amateur football, local football, in terms of what Joan Eddy did. And I must say that one of the stories that stood out to me, it was amazing that she got to see her son, Tom Cheshire, kick that goal in the semi-final and put the Roy's in the grand final, earn promotion to Premier B. But I thought it was just as amazing that she could stand there with her ex-husband and her ex-husband's wife, while watching, I know my parents would be on opposite wings if that was <laughs> if that was the case in our family. So absolutely, simply amazing. I've had a lot of fun, Joe. Nico, you're spot on, I reckon. If the same thing was in my family, opposite sides. In fact, one might not have even come to the ground if that had happened. But it is a fantastic story, and it's great that they get to relive that moment over and over again because there is vision of that goal, and I know you put it in your top five early this year when you were ranking some of the goals that we've seen across the last few years of the VAFA. There is still time for clubs to get involved in the Club in Focus podcast. Don't worry, your club has not missed out, but you simply have to get in touch with us. You have to go to Nick's website, Nick's email address, at vafa.com.au. Find him there. You can find him on Instagram. You can find him on Twitter, at vafa underscore HQ. And you can make it all possible to put your club in focus. We are loving doing all of this for you during this time. We haven't got other footy to talk about, Nico. The AFL keeps going every night. The state of the game is absolutely shocking, but that's for another podcast on another day. So get in touch because we want to talk about your club. And Nico, you know how we finish each of these podcasts? With their famous tune. So let's have a listen right now to the most famous of all the tunes, the Fitzroy Footy Club. 